0: know the name Shane LaHan. Come on now, think. Do you know it? Do you know who I'm talking about? Well, if you were watching the summer show on RTE one television some weeks ago, presented by Nuala Carey and myself, you would have seen Shane LaHan with us on the Pilgrim Paths. He's a folklorist. Shane is also Course Director of Cultural and Heritage Studies in CSN. College of Further Education, Cork. He has lectured in archaeology, folklore, history, and the arts for over 30 years. He's also a part time lecturer in the Department of Folklore and Ethnology in University College, Cork. He's also got a very keen interest in the Irish Hare, of which he spoke more to Richard Collins. Hello, Shane. You have written a fascinating paper entitled The Colloquy and the Cosmic Hare in which you examine folk beliefs about hares and their alleged relationship to hags. Shane, could you summarise
1: this story for us? Yeah, I, I will, of course. And, and listen, I'm delighted to be talking about hares because I think we all have a, a wonderful fascination with them. They're, like little rabbits, you know, they're furry, they're cuddly. We have a, a very strong affinity with them. But strangely, in Irish tradition, they were much reviled and people hunted them and killed them. And that's a kind of a complexity that's always bothered me. Why would you take something so pleasant in this world and attribute negativity to it? So it's it's very interesting that the hare appears in Irish folklore at two points in the calendar. One in particular is at the end of harvest around Michaelmas and during the last sheaf of the harvest is called the hare or putting out the hare. And the other time it appears in the Irish folk tradition is on the 1st of May um, when we have the May morning hare. And the May morning hare comes uh, usually to to steal somebody's butter or somebody's butter profit. Um, and just to, to make the point, first of all, the, the hare appears in Irish folklore at these two pinnacles when we abstract from nature or from farming, if you like, from agriculture, and we abstract the cereal crop and we take as well the milk crop as it were. So there, there is this great idea that the hare is representative of something, it's symbolic of something and it is symbolic in many ways of wild nature. It's the absolute epitome of independence, of it's our oldest native mammal, if you like. It's been there since the Ice Age and so on, long before the rabbit ever came in with the Anglo-Normans. And We've had the hare. And because of its sort of independence and because of various associations of fertility that it's had, it's become, if you like, a symbol of of what people are trying to control, what humans are trying to control in respect of nature. So right throughout time, we've had all of these different sort of um, approaches to the hare. Not least on May Day, on May morning, there was a belief that old women, um, the general term we call the kailuk, and um, the old women would change into the form of a hare, and in that counterfeit guys, as it were, they would come and they would suckle from the cows and they would take someone's uh, profit away. And people were absolutely paranoid about this. If they ever saw a hare near the cattle, they would hunt it and they would try and kill it and so on. So the ability for someone to transform, for to change from one shape to another is a big part of this tradition.
0: There is a mention, I think, in Caesar's Gallic War that the hare was sacred in Britain. We don't eat the flesh of hares in this part of the world. So is this a very ancient tradition and is it a tradition which extends outside Ireland? Is it peculiar to Ireland?
1: it's not because there there's all sorts of unusual traditions and i suppose you you bring up the the question of you know caesar and and how old or how far this goes back i'm interested in in food taboos what what animals we don't actually eat I, say, I think there's a big taboo about eating horse in Ireland because there is an association very much with sovereignty and the sovereignty deity and how the deity represents the land and the hare is something quite quite similar to, to that. And the very fact that we don't regularly eat hares and when people did eat the hare funnily enough, they were often very bloody in character and they normally ate the broth of the hare. It was the meat of the rabbit and the broth of the hare. So I'm actually quite interested in the hare being a, a, a taboo food because quite often it's seen to be otherworldly in that sense. But what's really interesting as well, historically, when we go back and we look, this idea that old women used to turn into hares goes back right through time. The very first independent history of Ireland was done by Geraldus Cambrensis and when Gerald came over with the Anglo-Normans one of the things he mentions in particular was the fact that in Scotland and Wales and in Ireland women would uh, suckle from the teats of the, of the cattle. So this is back to the 12th century. We also have examples from the 16th century from William Camden who talks about this. So this isn't an, an overnight, it's not a, a recent tradition, the whole attribution of the hairs as butter stealers go back right throughout time. But what I'm really interested in is is why and how this came about. Why would we pick the hair? And it pushed me into looking at the natural history of the hair. And when I started exploring all of that sort of material, it became very clear to me as to, uh, you know, why why the hair became this, this figure. For example, and it's quite strange, Irish people always believed that the hare could change its sex every year that the male hares would actually be able to to bear young and that was a that was a strange sort of idea there's a, an incredible story from Irish folklore which I think is worth recounting one is that the Irish version of Noah's Ark is quite different. We don't have any giraffes or lions or tigers in the Irish Noah's Ark. But we had all the Irish animals uh, in the the folkloric uh, version of it. And the last animals to come onto Noah's Ark were the horses, was the mare and the stallion. And Noah was very worried about the stallion coming onto the onto the ark because he knew he was frisky. And sure enough, it, it so happened that when the flood came and they were out in the open water, didn't the stallion put his foot through the the side of the ark and a big flood of water came in and Noah was very disappointed with that and he threw the stallion overboard and all he could do then was to grab the smallest little animal not quite the smallest but the one most convenient was the doe, was the female hare and he plugged the hole that was there with the female hare and killed her of course in in the process so after that it always happens then that to allow the, the 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 whole race to procreate the males are supposed to be able to change their their sex every year and to bear young but that makes it interesting in itself because the hare is nearly always considered to be female the hare is nocturnal it comes out at nighttime it looks after its young it doesn't have any solid place where it lives. The, the Irish hare actually moves around. It doesn't have a form. It doesn't have a set. It takes any piece of common ground and it sneaks itself in. It It's a solitary animal insofar as it doesn't. It might go out to mate or it might actually uh, forage communally, but it goes back on its own. So no fixed abode, solitary. And then female, out at night, we'll say. And then if I, if I keep going on those sort of ideas, there's so many sort of different different attributes that, 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 that the hare has. One of the things is that it's a very fine mother. It has great maternal instincts. And every year when it mates, it will have maybe three or four litters every year. And in doing so, maybe four leverets at each time. So it's in constantly in a state of of fertility, of fecundity. One really interesting idea is that potentially the hare is capable of a thing called superfetation, which is the concept of being able to become pregnant while still bearing young. So prior to parturition, now there's I've read lots of papers about this whole concept and I'm sure you can advise me better. But it's interesting that whether it's true or not, there is the, con- the idea that the hare is a super fertile animal and people will have that sort of notion. In addition to that, the hare is the fastest mammal in Ireland. It can run up to 70 kilometres an hour. And not only that, it can change its direction without any difficulty at all, making it the bane of of the hounds and the greyhounds and all the coursing and so on and so forth. The hare is massively independent in, in that sense. So there is all of these attributes together, all of these incredible natural history attributes define the hair as perhaps a real sort of independent personification, if you like, or materialization or whatever way you want to put it, of wild nature. And we as, as humans, whether we think it or not, we're in the business of subjugating nature especially when it comes to agriculture. We're in the ones of trying to control everything. So the very fact that the hare represents wild nature and we represent artifice and the human concern of that, that will tell us about the interaction between the two.
0: The wolf is described as the muck the son of the countryside, the homeless one, the vagabond kind of thing. Now the hare you describe is a similar kind of animal. It has various forms but it has no home as such and it's also malevolent as indeed the wolf is. Uh, you, we talk about the hare lip for instance. Why should this kind of lip be associated with the hare? Now do we need an animal that is malevolent? Is there a vague see since the 18th century and the wolves are all exterminated in Ireland, does the hare succeed to that role of the baddie
1: among the animals? Do we have to have such a creature? It's, it's so interesting, isn't it? And I, I love that allusion, you know, the mocteria. well, I would suggest that the Irish name, of course, for the uh, hare is uh, guria which comes from gar, meaning short or small, and fia, meaning either a deer or, or wild. And of course, I'm reminded of the the beautiful Finiacht tales, the lovely tales of Fionn McCool and the Fianna, and Fionn often follows the, the doe, the deer into the woodland. And when he gets into the woodland, the deer has transformed into that other shape, into the shape of a woman and so on. And there, of course, is where we get Oisín and Óscar, all of those names for the fawn that comes along. So it's interesting that that almost these animals, if you like, it's in Irish mythology, they, there tends to be always um, an animal illusion. It's actually very allied to North American um, uh, native traditions as well. Uh, Irish a tradition has zoomorphic representation. Very often a lot of our deities, even Cú Cullen will say, is is not just the Hound of Cullen, but he behaves as a loyal dog. And then, of course, he goes into uh, becoming um, the the, the guard dog that's there. It's a little bit like um, Arthur or Arthur, um, in in King Arthur being the bear, being being a kind of a noble figure, but who can be vicious at the same time. So I think a lot of our mythology and a lot of our is is based on the symbolism of the animals. It's based on the our ability to observe what what was meant and why I'm really interested in this is because I really knew very little about hairs until I started to research this paper and I was really fascinated by all of the elements that were there. Not least one I forgot to mention of course was the the Irish hair's ability to transform its coat. Now I know that over the years it does it so less and less so but I imagine if we go back towards the Ice Age period we know that it's russety red coloured Brown coat, as it were, which gives it perfect camouflage, if you like, on on plowed fields and and in brown areas and in heath and heather and so on. But in the winter time, when the snows were to come, it can transform its full coat into white. I think nowadays it's just on its feet, and it's kind of got a piebald kind of impression. But the ability to go from one to another, from to change from the the old woman into the hair, as it were, is important. And the other one talking about malevolence (laughs) is is the colour red. The hairs, I mean, they're brown essentially, but depending if you see them in the beautiful golden sunsets, they're absolutely a russet uh, red. And there's always been a a taboo against particularly red-haired people. And I find it very interesting that sailors, when they were going off on the boat or fishermen going off on a boat, if they saw a red-haired woman, they'd turn away. But likewise, if they saw a hare, They would turn away. There's a tradition, for example, that if a groom going on his wedding sees a hare, he's going to die soon would be one of the traditions. But as well, hare, along with both pig and fox, they were words that were not allowed to be spoken on board a boat. And you would instead use the term iron, or you would call them, sometimes you'd call them nine irons. And these were a set of charms that were were used. So the word hare was even taboo. Uh, What I'm really interested in is that the things that were used to kill the hare or to go at the hare are all objects of major human artifice and civilization, if you want to use the term. Fire, iron, salt, guns, dogs, all of these things represent the pinnacle of human artifice. And often what we see is nature versus the human and that's why the hair becomes a symbol in that sort of never ending sort of process.
0: You mentioned turning white. The hares in Scotland, they are as a separate race to ours, of course, the mountain hare. They turn white in winter uh, to match the snow. And of course, in Ireland, presumably, during the Little Ice Age, they would have turned white here. So as you say, transformation change is part of the hare's biology. You also mention femininity. Is there a fear of the feminine being expressed in this in some kind of way? I think of Sheila the gigs uh, images. And then you go on, uh, there's vampires and they need a silver bullet to kill them, The so it was thought. And hares, I gather, needed silver bullets in mythology to kill them here. So we're bringing together fertility, malevolence and the dangers which females present. What would Freud
1: and Jung think of all this? I suppose one of the most significant things to to think about is the the most popular folktale that's told about the hare on May morning. And what happens here is that usually the farmer will see um, a hare suckling from uh, its cattle and so on uh, rather than damaging the cattle he usually will pick up something like a sharp pike an iron pike and he will jab it down and usually what he does is that he will injure the hare and draw blood from the hare but the hare would normally be gone out and would never be seen again but because it's injured it's a little bit lame and the farmer he continues after the hare and usually he sees it going into a little house or into a window and when he does and he goes in the hare isn't there, but there's an old woman sitting down. And usually in the stories, what happens is that he will lift the woman's skirt and he will see uh, the blood that was there and he will know that she was the, uh, the hare stealing his milk. So this very strong tradition is very interesting because it's a rather unusual thing to lift up the woman's skirt and to see if she's bleeding. But a lot of the scholars have suggested that this relates to the subjugation almost of the woman to subjugate her in that way. And as crazy as that sounds, it goes back then to the whole idea that we our relationship with nature and with the planet, as it were, is a relationship where we are the ones who are trying to control the female cosmic agency mother earth, if you like, and our ability to do that with our iron or with our salt or with our guns and all of the things we have. That's the kind of symbol that we're talking about here. So this is a very strong element. It's not so much that it's about the female, it's about humans and the planet. And that's seen as a relationship that's there. And it is, I think, a really interesting way of of observing this rather unusual small folktale, if you like, the folktale of the the, the hare that steals the milk and is injured by the farmer and so on, and the transformation that takes place. I think we have to to view it in that context.
0: Now, people in fairly recent times were much more in contact with nature and the animals in the wild than we are now. We've become very alienated from the natural world. But that is a very recent development. So people not so long ago would encounter things like hares a great deal is there any basis for this thing about the hair suckling from the cattle I've never heard of that in the natural history side of the thing I wonder is there any basis for that
1: well, you know when I'm giving my lectures and so on, I would always try to illustrate them as best I can. And the closest I actually managed to get were some kittens uh, suckling from the uh, from the cattle uh, as as a photograph. so it it kind of was enough for me to think that, yes, this could potentially be the case, because I suppose hares are mammals and hares lactate, and they look after their young very, very well. I know that they hide their young. And they usually leave them not to draw attention to them. And then what happens is that they will come back and they will call them. They will vocalize and call them to them, uh, usually two at a time and you will see them nursing their young. So certainly they would have a, (laughs) I suppose they would have a a knowledge of of lactation and of milking and so on. And it's feasible. But of course, I've never never seen it. And I I don't know if anyone else has. Um, But perhaps, and one of the things I wrote about in this paper was the fact that we've become less and less and less aware of our natural surroundings but people in the past would have had a much closer association like hares uh, are particularly adept at staying hidden we see them out in Dublin airport of course and we see them in, in communal gatherings like that we see them when they're mating when the when the females' hares are pushing the, 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 uh, the, the males which are smaller than them away from them and so on but when generally you don't see hares because hares can hide very well and they know they can get away so they don't bolt like a rabbit and when you come across them they stay still you can walk up right up on top of them and then of course they go away so the fact that we don't have perhaps the same awareness or knowledge I think a lot of the folk tradition that I'm speaking about comes from first-hand knowledge that was coming from when people were far closer to nature than we are today.
0: You mentioned the Easter bunnies. People long ago would not have known, I think, that the ones pushing, uh, fighting are really the females warding off males. But the obscurity of the hairs sex life, if you like, the fact that you never see it's young because it hides them and visits them once a day sort of thing to lactate for a few minutes and then disappears completely. This would seem to resonate with the idea of the lapwings eggs being those of the hare. or does it? That's the other great tradition of Easter bunnies is the Easter egg. Now, that seems to be connected with discovering lapwings eggs. Out in a field or something like that. Develop that for me a bit, will you?
1: Yeah. So, like, one of the great—I I remember going to going to America in particular. You know, I—I I, I never grew up with a huge sense of the of the Easter bunny uh, and so on. But of course, rabbits and hares are to the popular mind or rather, you know, they're indistinguishable. But I remember um, my first time kind of thinking about this and looking at this and in, in my researches, what has now come about is that because the hare won't necessarily go to the same set or the same layer each night and she will go to different little forms uh, around the area, very often she's been known to settle down in a ready-made nest. Um, and that's been the, the cause of when people came across the hare and the hare, of course, of course, would move on, they would see the eggs that the lapwing had, had laid earlier on. And they would believe, of course, that this was something that the, uh, the hare had laid. So the association between the great fertility, of course, that we get in around March coming into the Easter period um, and we see all of that. That's how that whole phenomenon became established.
0: The title of your paper includes the term the cosmic hare. What do you mean by that?
1: for me what's really important is the scholarship that has been done in recent years about the what we would call the the, the cosmic Female agency and ways in which that has been manifest through our many uh, deities, and you mentioned Sheila and the gigs earlier on. We've mentioned uh, Bridget uh, and so on. I, 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 always think that all of the deities that we have, whether it's Eru, Fola, Banva, uh, Maeve, all of the different figures that we have in Irish tradition, all belong to a manifestation of of the female. And to me, the hair. Is essentially female, and she is in many ways the um animal form or the animal symbol of all of those female elements. And the the entire sort of concept that we have of the king, as it were, and um, mating with the female, the the marriage between uh, the, the the human artifice and the n- nature as it were, which is what 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 life is all about on this planet, that the, the the sense of um of respect between those and 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 everyone else i think we have to be very aware of that so by applying the term uh, the the cosmic hair i kind of making particular reference to the fact that the the hair is something that we should think about and respect. And maybe we don't treat the hair very well in Ireland. Maybe we have disregard for it in the same way that we have disregard for um, our planet and our environment and the the way that we treat it with all of our artifice. This is a story which goes back right through time. It's a concern that has been there through our mythology, through our history, through our folklore. So By giving it that title, I want people to think that this isn't just some ancient kind of story, but there's a lesson in this for all of us.
0: Richard Collins there talking to Shane Lahan, and you can read Shane's paper in full on our website, rte.ie forward slash Mooney.